Turn your Bibles to John 17. In Genesis 1, speaking of the creation, it says that God made man in His own image. It says male and female created He them. And we're seeking to understand over this series of messages, what does it mean? What does that mean in Genesis 1.27 when it says male and female created He them? We've already looked at what the Bible means when it says male. God created males. And now we're seeking to understand what it means when it said God made females. In the last message, we went back to the very beginning and just looked at the first couple of chapters of Genesis, seeking to understand what God was doing when He, when he uh, made females, particularly when He made Eve. And this morning I want to begin to move forward then, thinking of some more specific traits of what it means to be female according to the Scripture. But I want to begin this morning with just some meditations from Jesus' prayer in John 17 to the Father. I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. Jesus praying to His Father. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word, that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me, and the glory which Thou gavest Me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and Thou in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. Father, I will that they also, whom Thou hast given Me, be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me, for Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, And these have known that Thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. We're just reading that passage, that closing of the prayer of Jesus to the Father. This is, as Jesus is concluding His ministry, this is where His mind is. As He's preparing to go to the cross... This is where Jesus' mind is in regards to you and in regards to Himself and the Father. And so you can see just from this reading, there is something that is very, very glorious about oneness when there is more than one. There's nothing that glorious about oneness when there is just one. But there's something very wonderful, something very powerful, something very loving, something very good about oneness when there is more than one. You see three relationships here described in this passage. The first one, of course, is the most glorious, the most one, and that is the relationship within the Trinity, the Godhead. Jesus is using this beautiful language, I in you and you in me, and we are one. And let the world see this oneness that we had before the foundation of the world when the glory that we shared you, you have given to me and I'm going to return to you. So you see this giving and receiving and sharing. This is what it means to be one. You give, you receive, you share for the mutual edification. You see this glorious oneness that we just admire in the Godhead. And then you see this 
unsurpassing, amazing, glorious oneness that is ours by grace. This oneness of salvation where Jesus says, those whom thou hast given me, I am in them and they are in me. Isn't that amazing? That ultimately is salvation. To have fellowship. To be brought into relationship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So that by grace we have been adopted into the family of God. By grace we are the bride of Christ. By grace we are one with Him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Scripture is filled with this sort of language of the oneness that we enjoy with Jesus Christ. It's mysterious to us, but it is our whole hope, isn't it? That Christ is in me, and Christ has represented me, and Christ has given to me, and I have received from Him. And so this relationship is me giving back to Jesus the honor and the glory. That's what you just did. You just sang praises to Jesus and to the Father for His grace. This is what we do in relationship. We give, we receive, and we are one. And then Jesus says, Father, I am praying right now for the oneness amongst the people. I'm praying that this oneness that has been before the world began. And this oneness that that we have given to these people. That this oneness might also be seen in their relationships. That they would relate to one another as one. As they are one in us. I in them and they in me and they together. Lord, let them experience this. Well, that's an amazing prayer, isn't it? There's so much more there, of course. But this prayer should at least tell us this. This prayer should tell us that human relationships are of the utmost priority with God. Relationship. Among humans, between humans, is of the utmost priority of God. I will remind you again, these are Christ's closing thoughts. As He closes His ministry, He is thinking about your relationships. Relationship because He Himself is a relational being. Relationship because salvation is being brought into relationship. Relationship because we as humans are relational beings. And so understand this, relationships are at the very center of both God's creative purpose and His redemptive purpose. So central, so central to God's creative purpose that God made females and the first and primary essence of being female is that you were created for relationship. So what does it mean to be a female? You cannot understand what it means to be a female without starting with, I am formed for relationship. Relationship is at the center of the essence of what it means to be female. Genesis 2.18, God said, It is not good that man be alone... As Adam lives amongst all the animals and all the rest of creation, it is not good that that man be alone. And so he made something that was different, similar, and different, yet corresponding to man when he made Eve. 
So even biologically, even by our bodily structure, men, woman created for relationship, our bodies created to relate. And so when Adam sees Eve, everything changes for Adam, doesn't it? He has been amongst the animals, he's been naming the animals, but there's not something that is found that is suitable to correlate, to correspond to Adam. But when Adam sees Eve, he, he says, this right here, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. And so he names woman because she came from man. Adam had found a companion. So the Bible, as it continues through that narrative, it begins to go ahead and form or multiply the structure of more human relationships. He says, so Adam, man, it is when he, uh, when a man finds a wife, he is to leave the other relationship as priority and he's to cleave. And that word cleave means to follow hard after and to pursue, to abide, to overtake. That's what it means to cleave. Because there's relationship here. He found a companion, found someone that he can relate to. Now, while the most intimate and deep human connection is fulfilled in marriage, of course, human relationships extend far beyond marriage, don't they? Just think of some of the terms for women. Daughters, friend, wife, mother, in-law, grandmother, aunt, neighbor, citizen, employee, church member. You know, that you can go on and on and on with terms for relationship. Just understand this. Relationships... If you're female, and of course men are, are, are created to relate as well, but women were created primarily, first of all, the first reason they made, were made were made for relationship. But just understand this, relationships are to be the main theme of your lives. Relationships are first. They are primary. So that whatever you pursue, whatever you have, and whatever sphere that God has placed you in this time, you are made to pour into those relationships. Now this sounds strange, doesn't it? It certainly sounds strange to those who may have a different background than what the Bible's foundational teaching is. The idea that we are to pour into relating, pouring into others, that sounds strange, it sounds difficult, doesn't it? We, we think that there is something that is more concrete, more worthy about pouring into self. And it makes sense just looking at it on an eyesight basis, which you can see. Pouring into self looks more like building a structure with Legos. You, the, the piece fits into the piece. So you build... Whatever, you build the career, you build the bank account, you build your plans, you build the house, you build... And so it looks like putting things together piece by piece that makes sense, that fits. But thinking about a life that is centered around pouring into relationships looks a whole lot more like building us the same structure, building it with jello. I mean, it's humans, they're, they're, they, they, they move and they morph and they can't be fit into a box. And they don't always work together well. And so it doesn't make much sense on the surface, does it? But friend, the Christian understands that, that, that we're not building a kingdom 
that is made up of things of this world. But, 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 when, but God is actually building a kingdom. And this kingdom is made of image bearers, of humans. And God is working through relationships to build this kingdom of image bearers for His glory to partially fulfill the purpose that we were originally created for, and that is to bring order and structure and harmony and life to this earth. And ultimately, of course, we're looking to the glory world to come in which we will enjoy the perfection of relationship with God forever. So Christians understand there's nothing more important than relationships. There's nothing more important than humans pouring into other humans. Life flourishes. Listen to me. Life flourishes in every sphere when relationships are the main thing. I can take you through Scripture. Let me just, let me just I won't do it for time's sake, but let me just list for you a few names from Scripture. Scripture is filled with names where the kingdom of God was built through those who poured, those women who poured themselves into relationships. Phoebe, Euodius, Syntyche, Dorcas, Eunice, Lois, Sarah, Naomi, Ruth, multiple marriages with Jesus, the Luke 7 sinner, Lydia, the Philippian women, Mary Magdalene, the Proverbs 31 woman, the Titus 2 church. Life flourishing as women poured into relationships. I cannot emphasize this enough. Humanity depends on relationships. Let me just give you two words or two two titles. Grandmother or mother in Israel. Just think of what those two terms conjure to your mind. Just the words overwhelmingly conjure warmth, safety, love, comfort, care, investment. Imagine a world without such enriching relationships. But friend, I'm talking about more than just a warm feeling. When I say society depends on human relationships and people pouring into making those relationships their main thing, I'm not not just talking about a warm feeling. I mean, really, society depends on functional, healthy human relationships as God has designed. I couldn't help but think I'll just take you there for a minute. I didn't live there. You didn't live there. But let's imagine it together. I want to take you to 1960's Zelda Lane. Zelda Lane is just a couple of blocks away from here. It's a little almost, not a cove, but almost a cove. A real small, narrow street with houses that are close together. In the 1960's, I know this because this is where my mother grew up. It's where my grandparents lived. It's where they lived their life and invested themselves in that little Geisman Park community. But 1960s Zelda Lane was a magical place. It was a place where the street was filled with children. It's a place where every house through the day was open to any and all of the children. And in those houses they would find correction and discipline and love and cookies and Bible readings 
and shared responsibility and sugar that was shared and flour that was given and a hundred other things. And I never lived there, but I know well the names of the McNamees and the Thompsons and the Machiavellas and the Whites and other names that I've forgotten. But I know those stories because those stories were foundational into forming the people who have been the foundation of my life. Now, on your way home, you might consider driving by 2023 Zelda Lane. And it's a completely different picture. And I can take you through neighborhoods across this land that are just like that. Completely different than... And I'm not, I'm not harking back in some nostalgic way, but I am saying... Listen, let's move from nostalgia. There are real, practical, foundational reasons. It's not a mystery as to how societies break down and how societies are built. I was sitting in the police academy back several months ago, and um, we were just one night. It was just not a reflection. And, and some of the people in the neighborhood, some of the, uh, of the, some of the tough neighborhoods of Memphis were just kind of sharing and thinking about how their neighborhoods have changed. And this, uh, one, uh, this one lady from a... A, a, a difficult neighborhood here in town said, you know, she said, the thing that, that I notice missing most from my neighborhood is, is Big Mama is gone. She said every neighborhood had a Big Mama. Big Mama sat either on a sofa or a, or, or a chair on the porch and manned that porch all day long and usually into the night. And Big Mama had a big voice. And Big Mama ruled the street. And she said, Big Mama's gone. She doesn't exist in our neighborhood anymore. And our neighborhood has fallen apart as a result. Now, that's not a complete picture. But you know I'm speaking truth. You know that what I'm speaking has meaning. Proverbs 29 says that a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Jesus... Jesus, the, the, the Bible, God makes special provision all throughout Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, God makes special provision for two classes of people, widows and orphans. Why is that? Psalm 68 says that God is a father of the fatherless. He's a judge. He's watching over the widows. Is God in His holy habitation. The Old Testament law would make room for those who were poor, for those who were widows, to be able to come and gather. God made special provision for those who were orphans, for those who were widows. James says that pure religion, the purest of religion, the purest of the human heart, is to care for the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. That's what James says. Now, why does God take such special notice of widows and orphans? Because God sees that they are outside of the normal care and health of human relationships. God has created a structure for relationship that is good. It's good for all this world. If it wasn't good for Adam to be alone in a world that was empty of humans... It certainly isn't good to be alone in a world that's full of humans. Okay? 
Humans, just turn to Proverbs for a minute. Humans need relationships like we need bread and water. I'm just going to read a few Proverbs to you. Turn to Proverbs 25 and then we'll turn to Proverbs 27. Just notice a few verses. This first part of this message is just this. I just want you to reinvest and rediscover that the idea of being created for relationship is not a small thing. It's not an inferior thing. This is, a, this is the foundation of society. It really is. Proverbs 25, verse 25 says, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, to get a phone call, to get a letter, to get a card, to be, to, to be, to, to be included in good news. It's a relationship. Proverbs 27 Verse 5, I'm going to read a few of these, not comment on them. Open rebuke, that's relationship, is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Are relationships important? Yes. Proverbs 27, verse 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. In the same way, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Did you hear that? Verse 10, thine own friend, thy father's friend, forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a, than a brother far off. I wanted to read that verse just because of this. When I say that, yes, marriage is the most intimate connection, that's true. God has created families, and the family is the building block of society, and not everybody in this house is married. Not everybody in this house will become married. And yet this says, this passage here says, that there are places and settings and times where relationships that are not family relationships are more blessed and more important than that of a family. Okay, so I'm not denigrating the family. I'm just saying everybody is included in this, past, in this, in this conversation. Verse 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now let me just give you one more. 1 Timothy 5. And this is a very interesting passage. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is talking about the care of widows. The care. That means financial care. That means material care. The church was to provide for widows. And he talks about those whom they were to provide for and those whom they were not to provide for. And those they were to provide for are these widows that are widows indeed. And he just, he just, he just talks about widows who are widows indeed and how they're, how they're worthy of great honor. And I just want to read this and just notice the relationship terms here. As Paul is describing the widow who is worthy of great honor in verse 10, he says, She is well reported of for good works. Now here are her good works. She has brought up children. She has lodged strangers. She has washed the saints' feet. She's relieved the afflicted. She has diligently followed every good work. Isn't that interesting? All relationship terms. She's cared for strangers. She's cared for her own, her own family. She's cared for those who are afflicted. She's cared for the fellow saints. Relationship. Paul says she's to be honored because she understood what she was created for and she poured her life into these relationships. And then he says, 
And we have another problem, and that is that there are some people who are starting to, there's some women who are younger, they're also widows for whatever reason, and they're starting to, um, to um, struggle and, and, and get into, uh, what he says, uh, busybodies and speaking things they shouldn't. They shouldn't. And his, his answer for this problem is they need relationship. They need healthy relationships. So he says in verse 14, I will therefore the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Again, he's saying, let them become invested in relationships, healthy relationships, those that are worthy of honor. So let me just say this before we move on. If you are female today, God has not only created you for this purpose, but God has gifted you for relationships. I want to say that. We said this in the last message. Nothing that I'll say will be based upon personalities or habits or hobbies or interests. Whoever you are, whatever your personality is, God has gifted you for relationships. I can't think of different person, more different personalities than my Aunt Debbie and my mother. Wildly, vastly different personalities. And yet they both had a central shared theme of valuing the importance of relationships within the family and, and, and broader within the church community and further than that. And they approached it from very different vantage points and very different ways. And yet their center was the same. Okay? So let's think for a few minutes. We're going to go, as I said, we're going to go design, and then the fall, and then redemption, okay? So let's think from it about the design. What is, what do we mean when we say relationship? Well, the best passage, the most concise passage I could find was Ecclesiastes 4. So turn there. Ecclesiastes 4. What do we mean when we're talking about created for relationship and investing and pouring into relationships? Ecclesiastes 4. I'm going to read this passage and make a few comments, a few points. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, I'll read down through verse 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is a passage that is a very helpful passage in understanding what the Bible means when talking about relationships. First of all, a relationship is companionship. It's friendship. It's doing life together. Two are better than one. It's sharing the peaks and valleys for li- of life. It's the answer to life's loneliness. It's not good to be isolated. It's not good to be alone. So God made relationships. God made friendships. God made marriage. God made family. God made churches. God made communities. But God made relationships. It's the sharing of life for mutual edification. Relationship is companionship. Relationship is the sharing of burdens. The sharing of burdens and the responsibilities of life. It's 
My problem is our problem. Your problem is our problem. There are two that, have, that are cold in this passage. There is one that is alone and has fallen. There is um, a cord that needs to be made stronger. It's the sharing of burdens. My goodness, I can give you so many stories and so many examples. You've seen it all your life, right? I'll just give you one. I've mentioned it before, but I, never, I will never, ever, ever forget that. I will never understand how it happened so quickly. One of the worst days of our life was the day two weeks after um, um, Aunt Debbie passed away. Uh, we, I got the news. I got to go break it to my mom. That was not fun. That, that her brother had passed away. Um, so her brother passed away two weeks after her sister. Shocking. You're reeling. Then we get a call that Bob Sweeney had passed away. I'm talking about reeling. It was a surreal, awful day. And it felt like 30 seconds later. It really felt like that. Rebecca Case walks in the door. I don't know how she knew about it. She walks in the door with these heaping boxes of groceries from Costco, I think it was. And, and, and it was like, oh. I mean, I don't even think I ate any of the food. I mean, you did, your, your appetite's gone at that moment, right? I don't think I ate, but, but just seeing those boxes said, okay, okay. God, you're faithful. Now, now that, that, that was relationship, wasn't it? It's the sharing of life's burdens. Now, next, what does it mean? Companionship, the sharing of life, the burdens of life, responsibilities of life. Secondly, it means, it means giving and receiving. Okay? Just giving and receiving. Now, I'm going to spend a whole sermon on the giving part. Okay? That's next week or next time. That's the nurturing. But that's a huge part of relationships. You can't have a relationship if you don't give. There's someone who's fallen into a ditch in this passage, so another reaches down to help pull him up. There are two that are laying and there is a, they're freezing to death and so the one approaches the other to give them heat. But guess what? There's also the receiving. There's a receiving. Let me just stop on the receiving for a moment. If God made women, if God made females, and the first part of, fe- of being female is created for relationship, then it follows that there is a great need for relationship within the females, right? We all need it. Males need relationship too. But it follows that if you're a creative relationship, you need relationship. So, in other words, there's a longing to be received. It's a healthy thing. There's a longing to be accepted. Imagine if Adam had failed to notice Eve for three days. It didn't happen, did it? Adam sees her. He sees the value of her. There's a longing to be heard. I hear this all the time in marital strife. There's a longing to be heard. Man, this is why women aren't always looking for our solutions. At a much deeper level, they're looking for relationship. Just to know that the burden is shared. That the care has been given. That they are being seen, seen and that you actually and truly are really listening. The relationship is that which is important. The need to be loved, to be seen, to be noticed, to be safe, to be protected, to be valued, to be included, to share life together. 
That's why the Bible says to men in relation to their wives, to love your wives. So relationship is, is giving, it's receiving, it's sharing, it's companionship, it's friendship. And the fruit of it is what? The fruit of it is that the sum is much greater than, the, than its individual parts. The threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two lying together produce heat. Society is built upon fathers and mothers and families and churches and friends. Faithful friends, according to Proverbs. So that's what I mean by relationship. Yes, it can be centered in different ways. We're not going to think about the specifics of marriage or father, a parent, child, or, 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 or that. But it's, it's, it's broader than that. It's, it's all over life. But just know that that's what it is. It's companionship. It's sharing. It's giving. It's receiving. It's, it's, it's fruit. It's life. And that's the design. But friends, we live under the reality of the curse. Turn to Genesis just for a moment. And I want you to see this. In the very beginning, Genesis 2 closes with that Adam and Eve were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. There's an openness there. There's an exposure that's not causing shame. And then Adam and Eve take of the fruit and eat. And what is the very first thing the Bible says after they take this fruit? And the eyes of them both were opened. Genesis 3, 7. And what? They knew that they were naked. So all of a sudden, relationship is open and it's free and it's good. There's no shame. And then they sin. And the first effective sin is that no longer is this openness safe and, 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 and secure and good. I don't mean, I think safe is the right word. I think it's more of it's un, uneasy. Okay? So they immediately, what do they do? They immediately protect themselves. They immediately cover themselves. And this is the first covering. This is the first covering. It's not a good thing. And it's going to be covered now, right? But it's not good. It's not, that's not the design. The design was that there is safety and goodness and wholeness and care and love within relationship. And they begin to cover. And then they begin to hide. Verse 8. Because their relationship is broken. And what, what I want you to see is that the, the effect of sin is centers around relationships. The relationship with God now is broken, so they're hiding from God. And then, of course, God finds them. And then the first thing you notice after God finds them is that the horizontal relationship, that that was Jesus was praying for in the end of his earthly ministry, the horizontal relationship is broken. Adam begins to blame his wife, and the wife blames the serpent. Okay? So these relationships are cursed now. And then the curse comes down from God on the serpent and on the woman and on the man, and the center of the curse on the women is tied to their relationships. Isn't that something? That which we are designed for. We, I mean collectively, but I mean, that which you are designed for if you're female. Understand this. That's where the curse is centered. It's on relationships. 
We can see this. Just with little children. You put two little girls together, and they're holding hands and all is well. And what messes that up? You tell me. Just add one more to the mix. And all of a sudden it's, wait, wait a minute. I thought you were my best friend. You're her best friend? I'm not mocking it. It's just the reality. Friend, we would say this, relationships are hard. Can we say that? And Satan, knowing that women are created for this purpose, seems to particularly target women and relationships. Proverbs 21.19 said that it is better to dwell in the wilderness than to dwell with a contentious and angry woman. Why would he highlight the woman there? I think he's saying relationships are hard. They're difficult because we live under the fall. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to just share with you, and I'm going to ask you to pray over these things and just to receive them if they apply to you. But I want to share some what I, I believe are common struggles that women have and females have in regards to relationships. I don't mean that they're all women or you have all these. I just mean these are things that are observable and are noticed. And if God is speaking to you, I would ask you to examine your heart today. So I've sort of categorized these under two main categories. The categories are, are, are fear or anxiety. The other category is desire. The book of the Lord, there would be covetousness. Okay, let's start with fear. Just social anxieties. Where you dread or you change because social things, relationships give you great fear, great dread. Let me me notice a few traits of that. One would just be superficiality in relationships. Maybe no one in the world knows that you are deathly afraid of relationships because you talk so much. And you're easily can have a conversation. But it always stays in a very safe place. Because the idea of digging deep, the idea of being exposed, the idea of being known is terrifying to you. Secondly, under this category of fear or anxiety, just a complete self-preoccupation So, the idea of being preoccupied with appearance. Where it truly maybe is terrifying if your hair doesn't do well. I'm not not mocking today, by the way. These are real things. Where it's terrifying that maybe you're not well put together and people may think you look funny. And these kind of things you may know that they are superficial in some category, but in reality, this is what drives your thoughts as you approach relationships and social situations. Next, under this category, would be just unhealthy comparison, where you're constantly comparing yourself to another. Maybe you're a mother who is schooling your children, or maybe you're just, and you're constantly thinking one of two things. You know, comparison 
can be helpful. We can learn from one another. That's relationships, right? What, what, what do you have, what do you know that, that I can appreciate and learn from? That's Titus 2. And grow from. But oftentimes it morphs from appreciating and learning to constant comparison. And it usually shows up in one of two ways. Either an obsessive self-judgment. An obsessive and constant second-guessing. I sound so dumb. I'm the worst mother. I'm the worst teacher. Or the other pole would be just a hypercritical spirit. Where you are constantly internally judging another. And you can't enjoy lunch at church because... In your mind, in lunch at church, you're constantly either judging yourself or judging the one that you're talking to. Next, I'll say, I'll I'll call it this, I'll just call it suspicion. This is really just sort of an irrational paranoia that builds protective walls around itself. Everyone, whenever the word everyone comes into your mind, you know it's not right. Everyone is looking at me. Everyone is judging me. All is against me. And so there's just a withdrawal from relationships. You decide that you don't even need relationship. And you'd rather live just solo in your own world that's safer and protective. Let me just say this. I know I'm running through these, and me mentioning these doesn't solve any of them. But I think it is helpful just to hear them at times, to understand, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not how God designed this to be. God designed relationships to be a wonderful thing, to be one of the greatest blessings that He gives humanity. And so I don't want to just live where I live too often, I want, to, I want to learn how to love relationship as much as God does. And I want to see His goodness in the design. And I want to see His beauty. And I want to recognize what maybe there's some things that I need to learn about myself and some things I need to learn about God and some things I need to learn about relationship that may help me. I don't want to live here forever. Okay? That's sort of the design today. Secondly, second category is just under desire. The biblical word for desire would be covetous. Again, this is under the category of we give and we receive. We need relationship. Well, a few things here. One of those would be sort of these sister traits or envy and jealousy. They're a little bit different. They're very similar. Let me just say what they are first. Envy is a desire for something you don't have. And jealousy is a protection of that what you do have. It's a, it's a, and it can become a, you know, God is jealous in a righteous way, but jealousy is a, is an undue, it's an over, it's an over, uh, over producing protection of that which we do have. Envy would show up more like just discontentment, resentfulness. You know, they have a good, they seem to have a great. That's why I've, there's a many times that's why I cannot stand, I, I cannot. I should be careful how I say this. I cannot tell you how many times that I've seen a social media post of 
glowing over a spouse somewhere when they just left my office angry at one another. What I'm trying to say is that which may, it's like the mirror. The object that you see may be closer than it appears, or whatever it is, closer than it appears. It's not like it always appears. So the envy that you have is often wasted envy. There's probably struggling to love and to care and to forgive, just like you're struggling in that same way. Okay? Discontentment, resentment. Jealousy often shows up in this overdue, over, overproducing protectiveness. There's a, a rivalry that's built into all relationships because you're protecting what, you, what is important to you. There's a long memory of slights, a long memory of grudges. This often comes up in in-law relationships. It often comes up in... in, in, in uh, I've seen uh, people who can still remember in great detail some offense that happened when they were children. And it still, it still, it still greatly affects the way that they look at the world. Some slight that somebody, some word that was crossly said. It's this protection of, of self and care. Here's another one. What I just call a chameleon. You know this, you hate this about yourself, but you have to admit you are a different person depending upon the situation that you're in. In one place you're this, another that you're that. Because you really, really, really want relationship. And it drives you crazy about yourself. You've often found yourself compromising who you really are, what you really think. Just two more. What the Bible would, 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 would describe as manipulation. Where people that relate to you are never 100% sure of your motives. Because oftentimes you use your words or your actions or your approval or disapproval really not as in a pure way but to get what you want. And so your relationships are not driven by purity, they're driven by manipulation. And the last one under this category of desire, I don't know the best term to use, I'm just going to use this term, just seduction. The Bible talks about this in relation to women. I wish you could have sat in me as somebody that's not even very close to here, so don't worry about, about um, trying to figure out who this was, you won't, you won't figure it out. But I wish you could have sat me in my office a few weeks ago when I was on a phone call, a counseling phone call with a, a young couple who is married and their relationship is in complete tatters and we're sort of tracing back to the very beginning. And this heartbroken, completely heartbroken wife is describing this desperate need that she felt years ago I just want somebody to love me. I want somebody who I can share life with. I want someone a friend. She was lonely. And so in an overproducing effort to get what she wanted, that was the relationship, she gave herself, gave her body to this, this young man. And now they have a relationship 
And they're both completely miserable. Because they have nothing real to relate about. And I, 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 I wept for her and with her. Because how many times, young ladies or young men, has this been repeated where the desire for a relationship was so deep that everything else went out the window and it ended up not being what we thought it would be. Well, I just wanted to share those things with you to chew on those things. Because if God has designed you for a relationship, we need to understand where we are in terms of godly, healthy relationships. Let me close this way though. The design, the curse, and the redemption. Aren't you thankful? I don't know how to say it any better. Aren't you eternally thankful that Jesus has entered this veil of sin and sorrow? This is a gospel message. Every topic is a gospel topic. Sadly, people come to topics like this thinking if there is some sort of a a magic pill or some sort of a a new technique or some sort of a something, and and they say, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus is part of this. Friends, Jesus is everything in this. Everything in this. Well, this is redeeming relationship is a topic that is completely informed by the gospel. Here's one part of the gospel. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus incarnate. We are not Gnostics in the flesh. He actually really came. He was born as a babe out of a real womb. He came forth and He grew and He ate and He cried and he sweated and he did everything else that humans do to be God with us. And he eventually went to the cross. God has appeared in the flesh to live with us. And on the cross, Jesus stood completely alone. Alone. Looking up, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Looking around, his disciples have scattered. Peter uh, 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 denying that he even knew Christ. Jesus stands alone on the cross so that we are never alone. But that's not just pretty hallmark language, that's the truth of the gospel. Jesus was solo so that all those who are His sheep, all those who trust Him, who love Him, who see their own emptiness, they find they are not alone anymore. Jesus is their Emmanuel. He is their God with us. Now listen, here's what this perspective means about relationships. This means, understand this, we, if you are in Christ, you already have the very best of relationships. That has to be center. Psalm 27 verse 10. If my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will hold me up or take me up. That's so important. It's everything. That's the power to 
conquer suspicion. That's the power to conquer envy. That's the power to protect my own turf and to make, make everything a battle. I already have this. I have the very best in Jesus Christ. I have a perfect fellowship with the Father. Hebrews says, let us come with boldness to enter into the holy place, having our consciousness spring, uh, uh, sprinkled with a, uh, with, with a clean conscience, with, with the blood of Christ. I just butcher that, but you know it's good. <laughs> we have the best relationship possible. We are fully, fully reconciled to the Lord, of, the, the, the judge of this earth. Fully reconciled. Again, let me just point you to the familial, relational language of salvation. Justification is wonderful. I'm not denigrating that. But that is not, per- that is not personal. Adoption is personal. Adoption is familial. Adoption is relational. Justification, again, it's wonderful. It's the heart of the gospel. But justification is a judge says you're not guilty. Adoption says you have a father who's touched with a feeling of your infirmities. You have a father who's faithful to chastise for the peaceable fruits of righteousness. You have a father who has given you his full inheritance. Okay? And you're reconciled to the father. What does that mean? It means that you have no need. Now, now on, the, on the surface level, humans need relationships, but our ultimate need is taken care of. That's why we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. What? I shall not want. Want doesn't mean desire. Want means lack. I am not lacking. Because I have the Lord as my shepherd. Next, what does the gospel mean here? It means that we are redeemed. We are no longer bound to sin. What does that mean? It means that you can drop your arms. That's hard to do, I know. But you can stop comparing yourself to everybody else. You can love your sister instead of judging your sister. You can love your husband instead of wanting him to be the specimen that that you can fully, fully, fully put your confidence in. You can say, you know what? Maybe everybody is talking about me. But Jesus loves me. Now, I, I don't mean it just snaps and it happens, friend. I know that. I've sat in the office with people. I know this. I know myself. But this is what Jesus has bought for you. And you can, take, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can live in this power. It means that we are freed to love. In fact, the answer to all of our problems in relationships is love. Forgiveness springs from love. Compassion springs from love. Endurance all comes from the love that we have already been loved with. So you're not loving. You're not, yes, love is sacrifice, but we're loving from the overflow. We're loving from this fountain of love that fills our own, our own lives from Jesus. We're not loving our own love. We're loving from Jesus' love. He loved me. He gave Himself for me. And so I give myself to you. I give my forgiveness. I give my compassion. I give my care. Because Jesus, I, I don't know what to do with it. It's just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just swimming in it. And if I don't give it, I'm going to drown in it. And that'd be a good way to go. But it's a better way to live. And that's to give it. 
Relationships are built on what we give. Next, what this gospel means is that that we are being sanctified. (laughs) And all that means is don't stop working. This message is not meant to beat you up. It's meant to highlight and to say, i got some things to work on. There's some changes that I have to make. We never stop working. We never give up on relationships. But it also means this. If we are being sanctified, we're not there yet. Okay? It also means this. It means that we live our lives with realistic expectations. Now, I didn't just stick the, 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 uh, the pen in the balloon there. I didn't. I didn't. Everything I just said is, is, is true. We can, we can reclaim relationships in a, in a, for, for good. We can live in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 life. And yet... We will be battling all the things I described until the day we die. Okay? So we live with realistic expectations. Life is never going to be John 17 for, uh, 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 completely, but it will be eventually. Okay? There will never be a perfect relationship. And here's the close. Here's what the gospel says to us. If Emmanuel has come to dwell with us, and then he left to prepare a place for relationship, he has promised that he will return to receive us to himself. Here's the message. A perfect relationship is coming. It's coming. It's on its way. He will dwell with them. He will get sanctuary with them. There will be no need for the Son, because the Lamb will be there, and the glory of the Lamb will light the place thereof. So we live in hope. Hope. Hope looks to. Hope, hope, hope receives. And by faith we receive what we have now with joy. And we work. We say, Lord, change me. And say to me. But hope looks to the future. Hope has its expectations set on that kingdom that is from above. That God has brought. That He has built. So we build this kingdom that is more like jello here, right? It's not, always, it's not always simple. It doesn't always work together well. It's, sometimes it's kind of messy. Sometimes the red moves into the green. The green moves into the red. It doesn't look just right. But we build this kingdom with jello, but we know the kingdom that cannot be moved is on its way. And so we live with hope. Aren't you thankful that God knew of our need for relationship? And aren't you thankful that God made, a, 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 whatever you want to call it, a, 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 He made female, a gender. To be able to pour into relationships for the good of society and for the glory of His name. May God bless you with these thoughts in my prayer. Let me pray. Father, we, we just try to open Your Word and see what Your Word says. And Father, we, we know that, um, that we can't tell it just like You've done it. But Father, we can just see glimpses. Just wonderful glimpses of what You have done. And Father, we long even for, we pray for Memphis on Wednesday nights. Father, we understand that means people in houses that are relating to one another, that are relating to the people on their, in their neighborhood and in, in, in their churches and in their homes. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us to rediscover and renew a, a, a vision for what you have made us for, that we would value relationships to your glory. We thank you most of all that you saw fit by your grace to make relationship with us. In Jesus' name and amen.